Okay, cool. So, hello guys. This is the guys that go to MI40, all coaches, all bros with each other, kind of just shooting the shit, trying to keep it useful. Definitely going to have some laughs in there. Literally still coming up with a name as we go. A um, little bit of a test run, but we know the guys that, you know, follow us, get some of that of the conversations we have with them. We'll get a lot out of this. Um, so today we kind of just wanted to make it a fun one. Start off just talking about the industry, maybe kind of introduce ourselves a little bit, see where the conversation goes and try to uh, provide you guys with something that is uh, able to be useful. So I'll start with myself, I guess. Uh, my name is Jensen Morris. Hi, Jensen Morris. Um, I run Team Create Yourself, so head coach there. Um, very new to coaching. Um, everyone else in this chat has a lot more experience than me, but they're all people that have helped me, you know, elevate very quickly since moving to Tampa. And that's kind of why I started this is because I was like, well, all the conversations I have with you guys have not just been helpful for me and helpful for my clients, but I feel like putting them out there for free in the public would be greatly beneficial um, to a lot of the people that I interact with. Um, and maybe some people that I don't interact with yet, but we'll see this and get something out of it. So someone go next. <laughs> Uh, I'll go ahead since I'm already laughing loud enough. Can you hear? Can everyone hear me? Yeah. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So John Ballard. Um, I've been coaching for the better part of probably five years, but I didn't start actually going full time into coaching until a little bit after COVID. Uh, I was a personal trainer at LA Fitness, the, well, the PT director for at LA Fitness for like three years, the biggest one in. Virginia ran a signature club and I hated my life. Um, thought that the solver for that was gonna be money. So I took an IT job, worked for ADT, making really, really good money. And then I really hated my life. Um, so yeah, I've been coaching for a little bit now and I am fully engulfed in coaching for about coming up on two years. Um, yeah, moved to Tampa because of it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, I think that was good. All right. Well, Tom here, Tom Schuster, run uh, Camp Metamorph, which is mainly um, functional health clients, lifestyle clients. I do coach about maybe 5% of my clients are competitors. It's just mainly people who are really close friends with me that I just help out here and there. I've been at MI40 uh, for probably about five years now, four years. Uh, so I've been around there for a while, pretty much just bodybuilding last year and just started uh, getting into fitness, bodybuilding, all that stuff in like 2021, did my first prep. Um, after that, just realized I fell in love with the process and here I am. All right, sweet. All right. Okay. Um, I'm Ben Hodge. I moved to Tampa last year in October and met all these guys. Um, coaching wise, I don't really do it full time. I have literally like six people that I coach. Um, just because I like it. Mainly, I'm a massage therapist out of MI40. Uh, Bodybuilding-wise, I started a long time ago. I, when I was 17, I'm 25 now, so it's been close to eight years. Um, Coaching-wise, I want to say really the last three years or so, it's been semi-serious athletes. Um, you know, I kind of dabbled with it at the beginning where it'd be like a few people trying to help them lose weight or whatever. Um, and then you just learn more as you go on and it gets more serious. So yeah, I don't have a whole lot of people that I coach, um, but I'm very aware of everything and like to learn all that I can about the process to help myself and others with it. So um, yeah, that's, that's me. Cool, cool, cool. So like I said, wanted to do a quick intro today and then kind of get into just things we've seen in the industry that have changed um, lately for better or worse, just observations we have, you know, we all kind of love to be assholes sometimes. So we're just going to say it how it is. We don't really have too time. much of a filter on this, which we think will you know, bring majority of you to it. Um, John seemed very, very excited by this idea. He's already smirking. So I'm going to let you start off, buddy, and then we'll all just jump in as we see fit. Yeah, I, I don't think you heard me, but I actually said all the time. I'm an asshole all the time. Um, so I make that very clear not to sign up with me if you're looking for a cheerleader or anything like that just because it's my personality and I'm not willing to really kind of bold or bend it to work with a different demographic. And um, as far as like, man, 
things that have changed in the industry, like where should we start? <laughs> you could, you know, we could have there's a whole podcast just talking about that. Yeah. Um, and me and Ben, you know, coincidentally, while Ben was rubbing me down the other day, we're uh, no. talking oh, about that actually. <laughs> Massaging. Uh, yeah. Whatever you want to call it. That's I, what you're going to call it. Yeah. I paid him money to touch me. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, um, I mean, so my first competition was 2017. I thought I had the smartest coach in the world. Um, just to give you a reference, I ran trend my first cycle. Um, so there you go. Uh, but things that I've seen changed, uh, and like Ben, like I said, Ben and I talked about this. I mean, for better or worse, Instagram, TikTok, Reels, the whole market is kind of here. And so um, the beauty in that is it allows all of us to be on this podcast, right? Because I don't know if we would have all ever interacted, connected, or even met if it wasn't for where Instagram has kind of taken the industry, right? And it allows a lot of us to work from home. So I think that's the great thing. And while I love what, you know, C-Bomb and Alpha Lead and all of that is doing because it pays, part of it pays my bills, you know, it gives me the opportunity to work with, you know, 18 year olds who think that they're going to be the next one. And I think that's amazing. It also skews probably a lot of reality, I think would be a great way to put it. So, so you know, like I was saying, I, I, I probably like the person who's been involved in bodybuilding fitness um, for the least amount of time out of all of you guys. So what has been the biggest change in your opinion in terms of how ac accessible information is um, to like the layman, like the person who's just getting into it, not like the person who's already hardcore um, following all the big bodybuilders, but person who's like just face value, just first, first impression of the sport. What has like the impression been as far as like the difference? I mean, it used to just be, you were talking to whoever was local to you. And then now it's, you can talk to anyone anywhere um which is definitely overall a huge huge benefit but i don't think people's ability to thoroughly critique the information that they're hearing and i think people are being more like a sponge than a filter you now people like you know be a yeah. sponge for information now nah, i think you should be more like a more like a filter coffee filter if you want a perfect metaphor or whatever um because there is a lot of bullshit out there there's a lot of people that realize that a lot of people are gullible. They don't have those critical analysis skills. So they will try to sell you something or they are just genuinely a fucking idiot and will put out misinformation out there that can be potentially harmful. Um, and there's only so much you can do to call that out. So my goal, you know, with that is to try to just push out as much good information as I can. Let awesome guys like Goob you know, filter through some of the really bad information that's really bad people and hope that it eventually works out. <laughs> yeah. And then also with that, um, there's a lot more information out there, but I don't know what happened, but I feel this is more just a subjective thing, but like, I feel like people who competed in bodybuilding in the two thousands, maybe even earlier than that really wanted to learn things more than people now do. There's lots of information out there but nobody wants to learn any of it. Nobody really cares to like apply themselves and filter through everything, understand it all. They just want to get big muscles and get attention and they don't really care how they do it or you know what I'm getting up on? Like, I don't understand really what happened, but the, um, the desire to have the knowledge is a lot less, even though it is all out there more than it's ever been yeah i it's and and i honestly can say like geez people probably make less progress now not because they didn't know what to do but because there's so much information it's paralysis by analysis right or it's like well ben yeah. told me this yesterday 
and that I need to have this much protein. But then Jensen told me that, you know, well, carbs are protein sparing, so I don't need to have that much protein. And then it's like every shit at this point, maybe every 10 days they're flip-flopping plans and what's the perfect split. And a lot of that gets lost in like this fancy movements and, you know, you're trying to just nitpick and fine tune everything. And I think a lot of the work is lost in translation. And I don't know about you guys, but I grew up playing sports. I went to school on a hockey scholarship and I was not the most talented, but I like just absolutely loved training hard. Even when I was a kid, right. Had no clue what I was doing. I would dedicate days of going into the gym and I'd be like today, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do this entire row of machines. They didn't, they were just no order, right? It was like, okay, we're going to start with the hammer incline and then I'm going to finish with the seated calf because they're all on the same row. Right. And it was like four sets and I would just destroy myself. No thought process. Yeah. No. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. Like at at some point in your, uh, I don't even know if you want to call it career really, but our, our path within bodybuilding, I think there's a, there's a step that a lot of people are missing where you almost need to go in there and test yourself and see what you can do. Like that hundred rep pendulum squat that we did. Was that good for us? No, we're way too advanced for that shit. But like when you're younger like that and learning, you need to understand, okay, how far can I push myself? So then you have that sort of barrier of like, I understand I can go this far and not die. And then you can then apply that to every set that you do. But if you don't know where that is, because you're just sort of trying to manage my fatigue, make sure that I'm sleeping enough, make sure I'm not going too hard. It's like, okay, there's a place for that. But if you don't know how to go hard at all, then you don't need to worry about how much you're putting in, you're managing your recovery and all that, because there's not enough to recover from. You're not generating enough. So there's just too much. What fatigue? <laughs> right. There's none there yet. If you're, if you're, if you've been training for less than three years, you probably don't need to worry too much about managing fatigue. No. And that's just like an issue I see. Really. But like people who just come to me first, first morning to get into the gym is like, they're constantly fed this, this idea that, you know, you're overtraining and we all know that's a thing that you can't overtrain. You can overreach definitely. But if you're in those early years where you're not necessarily producing in the gym at that, at that level where you're actually creating fatigue, where you can go in and do like one extra set of deadlifts and I could just fuck you for the rest of the week. If you're not in that position, then you probably could do that extra set of deadlifts and not have to worry about taking all these extra precautions and measures and stuff like that. And that's a big issue I see. I have a real life example of exactly what you're speaking on. Um, so the first, so I, I played D1 Summit for a little bit, but I still lifted even before that um, because I just loved lifting like that much. I've never had an issue with intensity. I'm like really weird in that way. Now, keeping the you like, damn right you are focus on them. You're actually trying to hit through <laughs> that set. Different story it takes years. But when you were saying, you know, the one extra set of Dallas would kill you, it's made me think the first. I don't know, maybe two years that I trained, I would go in and hit a deadlift one to three rep, uh, new PR, total RP10, cat backing by the last rep. I mean, just more or less everything you don't want to do and was yeah. completely fine. And my deadlift blew up, my other lifts blew up for the first two years. And to kind of lead into an earlier point, we're saying some of these like newer kids, they're young, so they can recover like that. They're also just not strong yet, so they can do that. Yeah. And they think that that's going to progress forever. And so that's why they think they're going to be the next C-bomb, that they're going to be the yeah. next, like, Pete Rubich for a powerlifting example or something like that. They don't understand. It gets way, way harder as you get more impressive. And then on top of it, they're getting rewarded for just, like, posting, 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 like, acting like they're up here when they're really here. So, of course, they're going to keep doing that. They don't realize how much more they need to learn in order to keep on the same awesome trajectory yeah. that they're at. Right. What do you guys like, say are, like, the most common roadblocks that people run into first when they're trying to just maintain <coughs> that and it starts to dip? Maybe injury or maybe they just don't like, oh, I wasn't eating enough. Like, what do you guys usually see are the first few roadblocks for people that are, like, on the younger side and newer? I think there is about three different stages where people have like insane amounts of progress. I think the first one is when you first learn 
how to actually train properly. I think that a lot of kids, especially if you're in high school or in college, you don't necessarily need to have like a super strict that obviously you need to have like a really structured meal plan in order to make the best progress you can, but you don't necessarily need that much structure in order to make progress period um, in terms of your diet. But I think the second time a person can make really good progress in their career is when they actually learn how to eat right. And then the third time is when you do your first cycle. I think that's sort of like the, the stages this kind of goes for, for most people. Yeah. I, I would even add to that. Like, um, like when that individual just gets into the gym, right. And they just like are willing to truly push themselves. And I don't want to say that's like a stage because pushing everyone's self, like failure, we all know is relative. Right. And so like, just like you mentioned, Jensen, like when you first got in there and it was like, oh my God, yeah, I can just push. And each week I get, you know, like in four weeks, I put 40 pounds on my bench press. Right. And it's like, well, yeah. And then you're talking about your deadlift. Well, that was relative, right? Like, yeah, you could recover from that because, well, what you were doing then may have been like 315, where it's like, if you did that now with 500 pounds every three days, you're going to break your back. Right. And so I think that that's really relative, but you know, at a certain point, just like Tom said, when you're getting into the gym and you're just training hard, it's like, man, my brother, who's younger than me, it like would be so much more successful as a competitor. If he actually wanted to, man, this guy can just eat right. And his bone structure, he's an inch taller than me. He's thicker. It just has huge arms. Doesn't even train them. And I watched him, like I put him into the gym and he would come home and have two meals already down by the time I was finishing my, my post-workout. And I was like, it, you know, like he would go and eat, have like just sandwiches, right? Like bologna sandwiches or something. And then like an hour later, come back downstairs and take deli sliced turkey and put it on a plate, warm it up and eat it again. And I was like, how are you fucking still going? And I left my first year of college, my, my freshman year, and I came back and he was like, 30 pounds heavier at winter break and i was like what have you been doing right like what have you been doing he's like just eating like the diet wasn't there like tom was saying like just train hard and and eat you like you you know you don't need to pay attention to it too much because we all probably know that like 17 year old right who like lives off ritz crackers and they're just shredded doesn't even make sense and yeah like, like that's i think that's such a huge phase that gets overlooked and then like on the flip side of that like so now you have not just like all this information coming out about like bodybuilding but then you have the other side of like what tom was kind of talking about of like the functional health side where it's like it's a whole nother rabbit hole that you could oh, go yeah. down and, and you could do a whole episode just on, on that alone, but it's just so much information coming in from everywhere. And I guess it depends on like who can, I guess, put their spin on it the most where most people want to actually hear it. Well, yeah, that that's what's it. I mean, most of the things that, get pushed through social media wise is what's the most marketable. So you see that with coaches where, you know, whatever coaches have the most clients. Does that mean they're the best? Maybe, but probably not. It's just whoever portrays themselves the most. So it's really just whatever hangs on and gets out there the easiest. It's not necessarily the best. So that's what makes it even more difficult, really to decipher between good information and bad information because you really don't see the best information first. You almost have to dig for the better information. And, and you know, in, in that sense, it's it's hard. It's hard to figure out what's right, what's right and what's wrong when you're just getting into it. Um, a lot more, di a lot different compared to when we all started because now it's just, there's all this crap and it's like, well, why is that right? And why is that wrong? And it, it's it's hard. I don't know how people decipher through it all if they don't already know it in the first place yeah and, and like especially with like today's day and age of like influencers and things like that right and like i now look back on it and i was like man i was an idiot right like and i look at it and it's like 
like I would 100% hire the person who looks like I want to look like. Why would I not hire him? And then we have people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And Tom, I'm sure you get this all the time because I do, where it's yeah. like, yeah, I want it to look like this girl who's just a genetic freak. Listen, she doesn't train like that, okay? And you definitely can't train like that. You can't train and squat 315 every other day and not have your testosterone crashed. Like, you know, she's just a genetic freak. You have to understand that. And then you'll get them and they come to you and hormones are all messed up or whatever the case may be or just absolutely downregulated. But then you have these influencers who, you know, are clearing, you know, $100,000 in six months on coaching, just churning people out. And it's just a different, that's, I would say that's the biggest difference that I see. I think people got to understand that there's good pro science and there's bad pro science. There's good studies or meta-analyses, which is studies combined together to form a general sense of what's going on for people that didn't get an exercise science degree. And then there's some where they were carried out horrifically, but people will use them to cherry pick and try to prove, you know, some point. And since they're just smart enough to be able to manipulate that study, you know, it's like no matter what angle people are coming at it from, there's good and bad information on both sides. And so I think almost looking at the intentions of the person who's trying to put it out, like doing a little bit of digging into who they are to some degree, um, but also just what do you guys think? Um, just explaining this to people that, you know, maybe didn't have our degrees, don't have our years of doing this and stuff. What do you think is a good basic hierarchy of like, all right, first, you know, study this stuff and listen to these types of people. And then, you know, once you master that, you know, move up to this level and then move up to this level. Cause so like thinking of my example, so how I did it, um, I didn't really have anyone in the gym to like listen to. I was just like a weird 13 year old kid, touched a weight, loved it, got straight into it. And it's probably a good thing that it happened because if I had listened to all the old people at the YMCA, I don't think I would have like gone very far. Um, they, so what I did was I did bodybuilding.com. <laughs> then I moved up to T Nation. So, you know, I was really getting hardcore. Then I went to like the T Nation forums. So we'd have a whole conversation about the old forums back in the day before those kind of went away. Um, and then went to college, exercise science degree, started learning some of the background stuff, you know, actual anatomy, physiology, basic chemistry, basic biology, all that stuff. Um, so then I was actually like myself looking at studies or, you know, doing things like J3U, like continuing education and actually listening to other people's interpretations of these studies and then combining that with talking to people like you. So that's kind of how I did it. What, what additions or things would you, you know, not do differently if you were advising someone listening to this podcast of how they should realistically approach getting wise with these things and having the ability to like try them out in a safe manner. I think there's there's two ways you could really start. And I don't think either one is wrong. I don't think there's a better way. I think it just depends on the individual. I think there's a lot of people who could come in and just exactly just turn off social media, turn off the studies, turn off everything and just literally just feel out what works for them and just keep doing that and until it stops working for them. And then they can just go look in a little bit deeper on what's working and what's not working, how they can improve it. I don't think that's a bad way of going about it at all because that's how people were doing it all the way up until like the 2000s before there was the internet. So you just come in and you just basically just feel it out, just see what's working, what you like, what you don't like. And then there's the other way of going about it, which is to dive into more of the education space. And I would say a good place to start with that is probably like we were all just saying, start with training, like ride that out until it stops working, then move on to your, like studying your nutrition, just getting all that stuff in a play and then move on to your other factors, whether it's supplementation, whether it's um, stress management, sleep and all those different things. Hiring a good coach too. That was one thing that I was like, oh yeah, I also, you know, hired my first coach and then hired my second coach and did a mentor. That's what I was going to say. So like, this is, this is also like, based off of the thought process, this individual can't afford a coach, 
right? Like if, okay. if it was the younger, yeah, that, is, yeah. is that is that what you were referencing? I, I wasn't, but that would kind of make more sense for this question, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> because if, if, if straightforward, I would be like, listen, hire a coach that you truly trust, look at that coach's resume, and do not think that just because that coach trains at your gym, that that's the best fit. Okay, because I think I, I, I made that and I hear that all the time around people is like, oh, yeah, you know, I would sign up with you. But um, and like, I don't care if you sign up with me or you sign up with Austin Stout, who lives in Ohio and you live in Virginia. But I don't think that it matters that a coach can see you in person. Everything is so accessible online these days. That, that doesn't matter. But provided that you can't afford a coach, man, like, oh, geez, there's so much information to just kind of dissect through that it's i i honestly just wouldn't really try to start like i'm just yeah like that's and, and i would say that was probably some of the best years right like i mean i got a lucky robert thompson who's like a top 10 world strongest man in the world was my training partner for three years when i first got in the gym um and he was a power lifter at the time and then he yeah, he told me, he was like, yeah, I want to do uh, strongman, so let's go ahead and do log presses. Like, fuck you. I'm not fucking picking that thing up. Um, yeah, I don't know, Ben, if you want to comment on this, I wouldn't even know where to start in terms of, like, finding quality or the order of execution. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Because what we were talking about with there's endless things out there to decipher through. Um, if you can afford a good coach, absolutely. That'd be a great starting point to get into it. Um, but, you know, other than that, I think if you're, it's really just being able to think critically and look at all these things, try it out, see what happens. Like, there's lots of shit out there. I mean, I mean, you got to be careful, right? I think we can all agree that if you're just starting and you don't need to think about drugs, we, we don't need to do that yet. You know, maybe ever, but <laughs> that's uh, not the way to start things out yeah. if you want to grow some muscles. Um, but, Aside from that, I mean, to be honest, anything you can do outside of PEDs is pretty harmless. Like, you know, you, you learn your form on all, all your basic exercises and basic nutrition and that. You're really not going to hurt yourself if you do something wrong. It's, it's not the end of the world. Um, so, yeah, really just sort of trial and error, try things out and uh, see what fits. Because on, on the flip side as well, you could have all these things that this guy's saying that work, but then they don't work for you. So there's lots of other things that you have to figure out on your own. So there, there's a good way for someone and a bad way for another person. So it's really, even if you have the coach, you still got to figure out like, okay, is what this guy's telling me to do what I really need to do? And he should be able to see that he or she, whatever coach it is, should be able to see like, okay, it's working for them or it's not working. Um, but even, even if you have a coach, you still have to figure out what fits you best because you're individual and you know, it, it, varies greatly with what's going to work and what isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really just kind quick. of self coach or just, you know, before you hire a coach, whatever, or even if you have a coach and you're just trying to figure out how their protocols and what they're saying, you know, applies to you individually, try to only just follow the basic scientific process. So like one input, one output. So if you're trying to figure out what the, what the Y variable is, the outcome, you only really want to change one major thing at a time and kind of keep the other yeah. things consistent. I mean, in the beginning, you're probably going to learn so much and want to trial so much. That's not really how it's going to work. But, you know, once you get to a point where, hey, maybe your training's good and your food's good, but especially with, let's say we're throwing in like just health supplements or something like that. Like, all right, you know, a blood work showed this one's having issue. You don't throw in four different supplements because then you're not going to know which one helps. So just... Just for an easy example, just kind of change one thing at a time, give it a few weeks. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't, take it out and then try something else. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that was one thing I was going to comment on there is just like, at least give whatever you're trying four weeks minimum, mm -hmm. right? Don't change things after three days because your biceps are not bigger. It's you, like, you, you know, you saw Tom's workout. And you're like, oh, man, well, he did this special curl and my arms don't look like his after three bicep sessions. You know, get, give it time to actually work. Exactly. Um, I think that's a, more drugs then, obviously, John. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, I think that's, a, that's the biggest issue. You, uh, when you get a new client in and they're telling you, 
oh, like, I know my body, this thing works for me. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's like the, my number one pet peeve, too. Is, no, I know no my body. It, <laughs> you, it's like that person, you really got to think, is that person really following the scientific process of, like Jensen was saying, like, removing one thing, adding one thing, or did they just decide, like, pretty much everyone who just starts out, just, like, completely flip and follow someone else's advice completely one week and like you're following dr mike one week then you're doing what jp's doing next week it's like <laughs> how do you how do you know if that's actually what's working for your body or not you you don't so that that's where having a good coach comes in handy and actually brings me to my next point is what do you guys actually think makes a good coach what is something a client should look for in finding a good coach or uh look at look at um in terms of Who's a good educator? Who's a good person? Who should be coaching? Who wants to go first? A, having a strong knowledge base, um, both of experience and also of understanding like physiological mechanisms, like just how the body works, but especially with things related to bodybuilding, are probably the most obvious top two. Uh, I think on top of that, having a coach that chases um, increasing their ability or their expertise with those things is very important as well, because if they aren't, eventually they're going to fall behind. Um, and I just think like as a coach, you should be, you know, demonstrating that. Um, but I'm also biased because my whole team is team create yourself. So it has like a self development piece. Kind of yeah. yeah. It. Uh, I think we all do though. I think that's kind of just how bodybuilding goes. We just, we just all kind of follow along that. But uh, the other thing too is having the ability to lead with competence so people do actually believe in you and trust you. But on the other end, you also kind of have to kill your ego enough that you're willing to actually listen to what that person is saying, even if they don't know how to express it, even if they you know, think they really know their body, but different. There, there's some part of them, whether it's true or not, that they're trying to express something to you. And you have to be able to have enough empathy to take that, digest it, maybe try to get to the bottom of it be able to ask good questions and then come up with what you think might be the answer. Say, Hey, this is what it might be. Like you can't be that guy that's just like all the time, you know, it's super black or white. It's this, it's this, it's this. Cause eventually you're going to be fucking wrong. Eventually you're going to be wrong and then they're going to lose trust in you. And it's just, you kind of, you can't really paint yourself as an educator that way. You have to understand that there's always going to be something changing whether it's with what the pros are doing or the literature or both. So you just, you gotta be like, you know, at the end of the day, guys, this is really educated guessing. And I really need you guys to give me as much good information as you can so that I then can give you what I think is the best for you. And like John said, try it out for at least four weeks and then report yeah. back. Like that's, that's how coaching works in my eyes, I guess. So I'm going to steal something from Ben's coach, um, who I've actually never worked with, but uh, I've you know, had the opportunity to speak with quite a few times and um, listen to him, and, and that's Phil Viz, which I think is someone who gets a terrible reputation within the industry. But I've heard him say on multiple podcasts that basically your coach should be able to break down anything that you ask, like you're a five-year-old, and explain it to you. Yes. And so I don't want to hear, well, no, you shouldn't be, you, you just wouldn't understand while well, fucking make me understand. Right. Like, and there's no topic that's so complex that, and, it, and if you can't break it down and explain it to that individual, you probably don't have a good grasp on it yourself. And that I would say that to me is a huge thing because I definitely have the coaches where it's like, well, I'm telling you to do this okay well i mean yeah you're also talking about like you know my health maybe or things like that right um and then the other thing is just like communication right because there's a lot of coaches who are just so busy that you know or maybe they don't care enough that they don't communicate well with their clients and i would say that's the basis to any relationship you know whether it's your girlfriend or your client if you, you know, if you're not texting them back for seven days, it's not going to end well. Yeah. And then um, also within that communication aspect, you have to be approachable. You know, there's definitely some people that I've spoken to within the industry where it's like, 
you almost don't want to ask the question because you don't want to offend them or like you're you're just they're not accessible to you like sure maybe they know all this and they're very great and all that but if they're not um approachable and you can't be like hey well actually i'm just kind of curious why we're doing this just so i can learn and figure it out like if they're just like it's my way and 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 they're just really not very empathetic i guess um that's not great either you need to have someone you're comfortable with and i think that's probably one of the most important things within a coach because if they're not comfortable they're not going to express their problems and if you don't know what the problems are you can't help them yeah a hundred percent Definitely. So like the reason I brought that up is because I've seen, and this is going back to the first point about changes in the industry, is that there's a lot of people who are educators who claim they're coaches and a lot of coaches who act like they're educators. I think there's a difference. I think those two interchange like pretty well um, in terms of like, you got to have like a baseline of knowledge, be able to express that to other people, explain to other people, but that doesn't necessarily make you qualified to be able to take someone through their journey, be able to emotionally support them, be able to talk, talk through issues with them and find, Hey, maybe like, this is like the right thing on paper. This is based or whatever, but it might not necessarily be optimal for this individual in this circumstance. So then it takes creativity to be able to like implement some things that may not necessarily be founded in science, or at least hasn't been founded out yet in science. Um, and be able to apply that to the individual. I think that's like a differential I've seen in the industry is like, there's a lot of people who are educators thinking they are coaches, a lot of coaches who are thinking they're educators. I think there's there's a little bit of a difference right there. Yeah, 100%. Can you elaborate more on the coaches versus the educators things? I think I might know where you're going with that, but I wanna hear it fleshed out a little bit more. So um, there's a lot of people who put information behind like a paywall nowadays. And it's like pretty much every big uh, person who's on YouTube or um, any of the main educators have, has an app, has a forum, has a website where, you know, you pay them a certain amount of money, whether it's monthly or just a base, base fee and you get access to all their information and it's just presented to you in this like sort of like one fashion way of like, this is kind of like the only way of doing it. They don't necessarily say this is the only way of doing it, but they're sort of saying, hey, we can make this work for every single individual. But in reality, it's not necessarily something that could work with every single individual. And that's like something like RIR or training a failure. There's plenty of people who say like, this is the best way of doing it. You've got to train a failure. Or there's plenty of people who are saying, if you train a failure ever, you're a fucking idiot and you should be leaving reps on reserve and on literally everything, even a bison girl. Um, and I think there's like, there's definitely some sort of like marketing difference there in terms of like, in reality, we all know, like you don't have to train a failure to get results. You don't have to use RAR high volume to get results. You could make that work for the individual and just flex that across the board for all your clients. But there's educators in the space making it seem like sort of like one track minded, this is the way of going about it. There's no other way of doing it. Well, it comes down to having an ego too. A lot of those very smart individuals are not willing to accept that they're wrong or that there might be a different way. And that's with a lot, with most of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and to comment on kind of what you said there, I think it's the best way to put it is like, I'm a coach. And the protocols I'm going to implement is what has worked best for me, right? So Jensen signed up with me. Here's how I got to this size. So let's replicate that X, you know, A plus B equals X. And so it's going to do the exact same thing for Jensen. Well, Jensen, you know, can't respond to, you know, insulin or nor 19s or whatever, right? Like the, the response is not well or you know, whatever it's, and I think that's, I think I kind of get where you're going with it. It's, it's unfortunate. A lot of regurgitated information there. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, uh, that kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying, where you need someone who has the experience and yeah, they've read like the, you know, studies or whatever, have both of those, but if they don't understand mechanisms to some degree, it's going to be hard to get, I think you use the word creative. Uh, when, 
founder John used the word creative to figure out how to problem solve because that's really what coaching is. People don't, especially when they initially reach out, they come to us because they have some roadblock, they have some issue that they're trying to fix. Coaching's really, really, really easy when everything is going right and you're like maybe really far out from a competition, like a growth season that's just cool. All right, yeah, up your carbs by 50 grams every four weeks type of thing. Like it's it's so easy, but when someone has a GI issue or someone's getting some side from a PD or there's something on blood work that's just not making sense, like you gotta be a problem solver. And if you don't understand the things that may potentially be leading to that issue, how they may be manifesting themselves and you know what the potential inputs are that are causing that and how to go back and actually figure that out via blood work or anything else and then fix them, it's going to be tough. Like you can't, it's like you, you, you're saying, John, you can't just be like, all right, he did this and this and this and this, which led to this. It's like, it's a lot of shit that can go wrong. <laughs> get there. So. Yeah. But also attach, yeah, so. attaching onto that, um, you should have the knowledge and everything to be able to fix most problems. Right. But you should also have the humility to understand if there's something going on that you don't know how to fix to be able to go to somebody else that you trust to get the answer to help the client. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is their success. They came to you for that. And if there's this one problem that you just can't quite figure out, have the humility to be like, you know what? I don't know. And I'm going to go to someone who does to be able to help this person because that's what's really important anyway. Not the money or not having the ego. It's helping the person. Definitely. Yeah. That falls within like scope of practice for sure. If like uh, you're dealing with any functional health client, you sort of have to understand your scope of practice and what you can sort of like recommend to the person legally and what you can sort of what's not necessarily within your legal boundaries to recommend because if you are working with a client with like a GI issue and you're not necessarily up to date on uh, the digestive system and whatever's going on there, you start prescribing protocols you see online, you could fuck that person up for, for a long time, for, for a really long time. And then somebody else is going to have to deal with that, trying to fix that issue. If you're to just actually like refer that client to the right person, the right individual, in the right circumstance, then you could just mitigate that issue. And it just takes putting your own ego to the side and just being like, hey, I don't necessarily have this information present in me now. Uh, like coaching is ultimately, we all want to help individuals. It's not like a self-fulfilling thing where it's like, oh, I'm the one who has like all this knowledge and this person can't go to anyone else's, anyone else but me. I am like the control freak of this person's life. When in reality, it's like, I'm just here to like help this guy out. And if I can't help this guy out, I'm going to find someone who's going to help this guy out. And that's ultimately your goal as a coach. And to throw an example at why what both of you guys said is so important, and we can use this as a tangent or you guys can, if you have more to speak on the last topic, we can you know, stick with that too. But female PDs um, has come a long, long way in the last five years. I feel like, um, but there are so many women that I know, there are so many women that I've talked to in forums and such where they did one cycle that was inappropriate for their risk you know, profile, um, especially with, mostly just with concerns for um, masculinization, androgenicity and you know, all those things. You know, ran the DHT for too long, just ran too much test for too long, took proviron at the end of a cycle, um, think, things of that nature, took a bunch of EQ for no particular reason, like just a lot of things that you can do wrong. And I'm like, you can't really undo that. There's a lot of it that you can't undo. And I think if people just chilled out with their ego a little bit as coaches sooner on, they wouldn't have uh, given their female clients the inability um, to choose how far they want to go with this sport and in which class. And it's, that's, that's just some shit that really pisses me off and I think is just so unacceptable. And I'm glad that the overall consensus on certain things um, is getting better with it. 
but I just really, really, really hope that some of these people that are just stuck in their ways of, all right, well, this is just what you do, and it's the stupidest fucking shit, I really hope they catch up. Because people are going to come to some of these coaches no matter what, and I just really hope they have the balls to be like, you know what, I tried this out, it made more sense. They don't even have to, like, say who they found it from. They don't even have to say that what they did before that was wrong. They just be like, God, they can, they can just paint it this way. And I'd, I'd be fine with this because it'd be bit for the betterment of their clients at least. They'd be like, I found this new thing. It's called not starting your T or T at 20 megs of test. Maybe we should start at two and a half or three megs and, you know, actually run blood work. And, you know, maybe we should do like just getting your levels up to the high end of physiological range before we just throw in a bunch of Anavar and see what happens. Just I'll stop ranting. You guys could take over. <laughs> I don't know if it's getting better. I, I, I think there's more knowledge there. I think female, female PD uses at an all time, I would say high, especially with the introduction of the wellness division. Well, yeah, so yeah. I, I would agree with you that the knowledge that's being shared is there. It's getting better a hundred percent and people are being more and more aware of virilization and that's not like what can happen and how to introduce it, especially like every day there's a new HRT clinic popping up, right? So I think that that does have some merit and maybe potential benefits there. Um, unfortunately, it is still a money grab and most HRT clinics are not in it to help people, but more to make money to an extent um, that may have to be edited out. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily getting better there there's just a lot more knowledge which is great because ultimately we hope that that trend follows right yeah i mean that's sort of i didn't mean to cut you off no no you're good you're good um that's kind of like within the competitor realm of things for sure like i think within the industry things have not gotten really better ped wise for anybody to be fair i mean the standards of each division and how high they're getting, it's not really gotten a whole lot better, to be honest. It, we're, it's more common to be using crazy doses and high amounts of growth hormone and everything like that than I think it ever has been, just because of how high the standards are. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's really a solution to that other than just sort of being aware and knowing what does what and uh, knowing yourself and how much you can do. Um, but in terms of like the influence from the industry on, you know, what I need to look like, I don't think that's helping anything at all. Um, and I don't really have a solution to that. It's just sort of, it's just sort of upsetting to see, but it is what it is. There's not much we can do about it. I, I think like, and I'm definitely, newer to this i definitely came at it from a different angle because to me it's gotten better so like i definitely i'm glad i asked the question because your guys' perspectives were vastly different than mine you guys have been in this longer um i think if there was any like i'm not going to say it's a solution but just maybe everyone kind of getting it better it's like if you if you actually know this shit decently well and you have a client and they say they want to do a specific division they say, you know, I realistically maybe want to take it to this level. You got to look them in the eyes, be like, cool, realistically, this is what you would have to do to get there. It's going to take about this much time. It's going to take about this much drugs. These drugs are most likely going to do this to you, but you never know. And those are the harsh conversations that um, are just now kind of getting talked about a little bit on podcasts and stuff because it's, you know, it's a sketchy area, but like, you, you got to be honest with them, man, when you do a risk profile and when you're, it has to just be appropriate for what those goals are. And like you're saying, Ben, those, the standards, they're just getting more extreme across the board, I would say in every single category. So to some degree, you know, AA's usage or the combo of, you know, the trifecta of you know, your AA's, HGH and insulin, it's, it's never, it's not going to go down. It's really, it's, you know, once Dory Needs kind of opened Pandora's box there, it's never going to go down, especially for the guys. I think something that people overlook, though, is if you're getting the most you can out of the least, whether that's by the selection of what you're using or the specific dosages or just kind of periodizing your PD usage in line with your training 
and food and all of those things well, that in and of itself will potentially allow you to use less or at least you'll get to the new stage of muscularity that you need sooner because you'll just be be more effective with what you're doing. It's, it's, it's kind of fucked up, but it's almost like the way to keep it safer if people are going to reach that level no matter what is to just make everything more effective. And you obviously want to do that with the training first, you know, then the nutrition, like things like that before you, you know, worry about optimizing that top piece so much because that, that top piece is going to be harmful no matter what. But it's like you almost have to focus on what most effective without certain risks that'll shut you down real soon if people are going to take it to that extreme eventually anyway. Something I've, I've found out is um, a lot of people don't actually want to um, go through that process of getting the most out of the, out of the least, especially the younger population who's in a super big rush to get to that Olympia and um, just try to turn pro, whatever their their goal is at the end of the day. It's like, oftentimes they think just taking more is going to accelerate that process. And to a certain degree, I mean, it certainly does. Like no one can deny taking more up to a certain point does, does more. Um, but I think a lot of people aren't necessarily seeing that long-term planning out of like, hey, if I do this, if I do two grams of, gear on my first first year of doing gear where do i go from there because i'm not i'm if you're just going from average run-of-the-mill gym physique uh, and you run two grams of gear you don't necessarily have the best genetics um you may gain what 15 20 pounds of muscle that first year and then what do you do to go from there what do you if bodybuilding's a marathon it's not a sprint that you can necessarily just uh fast track your process uh, pro progress for one year because it's like you're always going to eventually have to do more or be more on point or focus on the little variables even more as you, as you get further along this journey. And I think people need to recognize bodybuilding at the end of the day, building muscle is all you need to do is just hold yourself in a net surplus of protein, protein synthesis to protein degradation. And you just need to hold it there for like as long as you possibly can for as many days as possible in a row. And the more you do it, the harder it's going to get eventually. But at the end of the like day, you're building muscle if you are still holding that position of like being in that net positive uh, surplus of protein synthesis to protein breakdown. Well, okay. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I turned pro in one cycle, so I don't know, really. Wow. No, it took me six national shows in five years. So it definitely... Uh, yeah, definitely. I had a long journey. It was not fucking one cycle. And yeah, so it, and I had definitely been reckless with some drugs in the past. And yeah, so it's always the thing that I tell people. It doesn't. I, I wish it was simple as one plus one equals two, right? Because then we would all be huge. Unfortunately, when you put it as simple as that, then people. Well, I mean, this is kind of everyone could be Nick Walker, but there's a reason there's only one. What, what is it? Right. So clearly it's not as simple as you just need to take more. Is it lagging? Can you, you guys am I, want to talk about I, I was saying it's, it's kind of arbitrary. It's kind of arbitrary to say, but within all of that drugs, food, training, everything, the biggest part is effort over time. I mean, right, you can do yeah. everything possible, but if you don't put in the effort that's required, None of it's going to work. And then on top of that, it's not just being good for a week or a month or two months. you got to be good like that for years. And that's why there's only one Nick Walker or whoever, because it just takes so much time and patience. And it, it, it's, it, it's a never-ending game. So it's really just the effort over time that's the most important thing out of everything. Yeah. But Jen, You have to learn yeah. to enjoy the journey because you're going to be on it for a real long time. And kids don't realize that sometimes, especially in the day of social media where they see people maybe doing one cycle before they even mastered other stuff and then they blow up. And it's like, no, that's not going to happen for most people. And you got to bend. You're really good with posting about this on social media. That's why it's making me think of it. Like integrating bodybuilding, like it is a whole lifestyle, like maybe more so than even other sports like bodybuilding is a 
very all-inclusive lifestyle thing. There's no way around that. Anyone is like, oh, I'm a competitive bodybuilder, but it's not my life. Eh, eh, kind of, but it's more so just like making those things automatic and somewhat enjoyable and really focusing, I feel like, on the things that do matter and not worrying too, too much about the minutia, if that minutia happens to stress you out, but also just being really at peace with like, the stuff that does matter does matter, you know? And like, that is like where the whole pride of like, you know, I put myself through all this stuff and other people won't like, you know, hype Instagram stuff comes from. Does that sound, uh, do you resonate with that at all? I think, were you asking Ben? Anyone, like, because I didn't... Yeah, no, so, like, I I had the pleasure to be able to work with um, Jansen, Um, you know, I've talked to some people that I've worked with, Hani, I've I've been in the industry long enough to, you know, meet people like Ben who have worked with Phil Viz, and kind of the biggest thing that I noticed from those coaches who are in the upper echelon, um, they don't necessarily stress the details in, like, the minute stuff like you're talking about, they stress the details in the stuff of like trying to be as normal of a human as you can, because then you can stack those days for as long as possible. Like Tom was talking about of having five meals and having great training sessions. And it's not like, Oh, well, I need to train at this time of the day or or stuff like that, because locking yourself in a box while that may be great for two months, 12 years, you are going to get annoyed with it at a certain point. Right. And that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, Matt Jansen, when I worked with him was very, very, um, on top of like, Hey, you need to go out with your wife at least once a week. And it's about her that night. You know, if you want to go and have breakfast with her or whatever the case would be. And we see, you know, Justin Shire who works with him talks about, it. he's like in the off season, you know, I would have dinner with my wife and then the next morning we'd go to brunch and I would cut one of my meals back, but I was still in a surplus for the entire day where like, you know, to a lot of people, and I'm sure there's probably people who are listening to this and they're like, well, you know, that that's one, if, if you're missing a meal because you went to brunch with your wife every week, and you know, that's such a huge variable. Well, like, yeah, but what is that variable to like, maybe you being consistent for three months and then being off for two months because you were like, I, I was just done with it, right? Like we all probably know that those people as well, where it's like, yeah, I can have my five meals, but every single night I need to have a cookie or something right off the plan and they and that were or, or they just fall off the plan for weeks at on, on time and then they're like oh i'm locked in now i'm back on my grind right so definitely definitely i think like that that's the biggest thing about um what keeps people from reaching their fullest potential is like quitting at the end of the day it's like burnout is a real thing in bodybuilding like we've all known people who've just burned themselves out completely and just like completely just fucked off bodybuilding and just completely hated the sport afterwards and talk bad about it because of the restriction they felt during it when in reality that restriction is sort of like self-created um and you can sort of like find ways around managing your mentality managing your day-to-day life to make sure like you feel like you're a normal person and i think ron parlo said this quote one time it's like bodybuilding is just white noise in the background while you're just going about your day. It's like, you don't have to think about eating your meal while you're eating your meal. You don't have to think about training while you're, while you're out with your girl and like going to the, going to the movies or, or stuff like that. You don't have to constantly be like involved in like thinking about this process while you're doing it in order to get like the best progress possible. All you need to be doing is just taking those boxes on the, on every single day, just making sure you're getting what, what needs to be done, done. And that's it. That's, that's really all you really need to do at the end of the day. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and to comment on this, like, and Ben, I know you will know this person a hundred percent. I'm not going to say their name, yep. but they're from Pittsburgh and they just moved to Texas probably like last year. This yep. person, I, they worked with Andrew Vu. They won the Pittsburgh, um, Pittsburgh pro-am. They won the amateur side in bodybuilding. You know what I'm talking about? And then it was like they went to North Americans. I think they got in the first call out. It was like his first national show. And then he rebounded, had this awesome rebound up to like 275. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's burnout. That's burnout to the max. And then he like, I saw. Yeah. I mean, you have to do what's sustainable. The other day. Like, you have to do what's like going to keep you in the game. And like what Tom was saying is, you know, 
this doesn't even just like, apply with body I mean, it applies with there. everything being present in the moment of what yeah. you're doing is so important i mean when i'm at work you know working on clients i'm thinking about that i'm not thinking about you know what i'm going to do that night what i'm going to do after whatever the way to really keep yourself clear-minded i guess is to just focus on what you're doing one thing at a time. You can't do everything at once. It's literally impossible. So why would you try to think about it all and get it all done in one specific moment? Like focus on each thing in succession and then eventually it adds up and you feel less burnout that way too. You can't be processing all this stuff all the time and expect to get it all done in one day. It just won't work. It won't happen. Yeah. All right. That was, that was good. That would probably be a good ending point, I think. I think you guys spit a lot of wholesome stuff, all three of you guys at the very end there. Um, the less wholesome idea I had, I think we could do a whole podcast on later, so I think we'll do that one. But um, does anyone have any last second thoughts they would like to contribute to any parts of the conversation today before we uh, close out? I think I'm good. Yeah, I think that was that was pretty decent. I mean, like the industry has changed a decent amount from at least what I've heard and what I've experienced in like my short time being involved in bodybuilding is the industry is always evolving, always changing. And it's part of it's just part of like any industry. It's always going to evolve, always going to change. And just being part of being a good coach is just being on that wave of being able to adapt to like maybe the new clientele you're getting, the new information that's coming out. And I think that's, that's the good things about the industry that's changing. And I think it's also a part of coaching to like preserve the, the roots of bodybuilding and what it actually makes a sport, a sport. It's not about social media. It's not about external validation. You always got to bring people back, center, center them to the focus of like, why are you doing this? What is your goal? And at the end of the day, bodybuilding is just about self and betterment. It's about making yourself better every single day. Having this goal, this mindset of like, I have this thing I'm going to be working towards every single morning where I wake up doing cardio, every single night where I'm going to bed, making sure I'm getting my eight hours. I'm doing this thing every single day to reach this goal. And that is like bodybuilding. I think it's part of coaching and just like sort of like preserve the, that sort of like roots of what bodybuilding is and not necessarily just like do things for extravagancy on like social media or like try to blow things out of proportion and mm -hmm. try to like sort of like yep. portray bodybuilding as easier this like thing when in reality it's just yeah like you said, yeah like it's the, the easier so that you can fit it in within your life your the better you'll be at it i mean yeah. you can't like look bodybuilding undoubtedly controls your life in some degree for better or worse but the better that you can live a life outside of it alongside bodybuilding the better you're actually going to be at bodybuilding. <laughs> so it's almost like in a way, the less you focus on it, the better you get at it. <laughs> you need to know what you're doing, but you can't put all your effort into it. Otherwise you're just going to run out. And, and the longer you can do it, that's the, the key thing right there, right? Like, and, you know, I'll tell people, you know, hitting 90% perfect days for a whole year versus 95 or 98 for six months, and then you being completely off plan for six months, like it's always going to yield a better result. And I would attribute the biggest thing because I'm not the most genetically gifted person. I probably would have done a lot better if I took more time away from competing and kind of just did what Ben's doing now. But there's a lot of people that I beat who were pros or before I even turned pro. There were people who turned pro before me and now they're not even in the sport anymore. And it was just because they could only be locked in for six months. And so that consistency, like all of you have said of just being able to, if I could say it to anyone is like, just make it as easy as possible as you can. You know, if you enjoy this process, it's going to be so much easier to do for a long time. And that long time consistency will add up a hundred percent. I promise you it will. 
Yeah, I think the only thing I'll add to that too is like people just got to remember too. At the end of the day, it's a self-imposed stress, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> bodybuilding is not for health. It is a sport that does encompass your life to some degree, no matter how well you're living a life outside of it. It's it's integrated, right? That's the goal, but it's a self-imposed stress. So it does uh, trigger me a little bit sometimes when people take a little too much pride in it being all consuming and how horrible it is for them, especially if it's like not just like when it's towards the end of prep, when it's like the whole year round. I'm like, I don't think that's really a flex. Like you'd probably be growing better if you were just a little bit less stressed. And like, if you just thought about it with more of a, like Ben, I remember you said this on your story a few months ago and it was really good. Switch your mindset from a, I have to do this to a, I get to do this and you'll be a lot more grateful in yep. the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. And I will stop recording now, guys. Thank you for checking in to the first episode of whatever the hell we're going to call this. I'll probably <laughs> put out an Instagram question asking you guys to help us out with it. But obviously, this was us, you know, just trying it out for the first time. We are going to do this consistently and get better <laughs> as we go. So feel free to give us, you know, as much helpful criticism as you want. If it's just hating for hating, um, I love bullying, so I will bully the living shit out of you, but we love good criticism. So please provide it. If you love it, it's like, yeah, you're gonna have too much fun with this. But, um, and if you love it, you know, share it because maybe something that uh, you took away from this, someone else can take away from this too, so. so yeah. yeah, and I love a good argument.